0: Welcome to another episode of Consumer, the European podcast of the Consumer Choice Center. As always, I'm your host, Bill Words, with Billy Joel's pressure fading out in the background. This is episode 50 on uh, November 18, 2021. We're getting closer to the um, anniversary episode, which means one year of the Consumer podcast. That'll be episode 52, exactly one uh, year. And uh, that will also be a special episode. I'll be joined by other members of the Consumer Choice Center team. So please uh, tune in for that. As always, also, if you want to support this podcast, you can do so by supporting the Consumer Choice Center on consumerchoicecenter.org slash donate. Great episode for you today. My guest this week is Rainer Kluter. He is the chairman of Nuclearia, a German pro-nuclear power organization, and we will be talking about electricity prices in Germany and Europe as a whole, and climate change and climate change protesters. Uh, A lot to talk about there. You'll be hearing all of that at the end of this episode. Also in this episode, German car manufacturer representatives are against subsidization of electric vehicles, specifically Um, uh, in the US. New models coming out there. We'll be talking about that. And uh, Anna Arunashvili, uh, a colleague of mine, will be joining the podcast as well, talking about new research that we've published on fuel taxation in Europe. And of course, we'll be talking about France. France is always in the news, um, opposing new trade deals and Germany and Spain are firing back. So let's get started. The Build Back Better plan, which has just been signed by U.S. President uh, Joe Biden, um, is getting into force soon. um, And there's new plans for subsidization of electric vehicles. Tesla CEO Elon Musk, not the only auto executive upset about the idea of a special EV tax incentive targeting only UAW-made vehicles. Philip O. joins us right now with a very special guest who I'm sure has some views on this topic. Phil.
1: Oh, he has views, Andrew. Let's bring in Bob Carter uh, with Toyota Motor Corporation. Uh, Bob, we're going to talk about October sales in just a little bit, but first I want to get your thoughts on uh, what's working its way through Congress, which so far has remained intact, which is a $12,500 tax credit, which you can take immediately at a dealership uh, if this Build Back Better plan passes. If a vehicle, an electric vehicle, is built at a unionized auto plant in the U.S. versus a $7,500 tax credit if it was built at, let's say, a Toyota plant. What What are your thoughts about the possibility of this becoming a law?
2: Well, good morning, Phil. Uh, yes, as you uh, as you outlined, there's an incremental $4,500 for any uh, any vehicle that's purchased and manufactured by the UAW. There's no other way to put this. This is just bad public policy. It's bad for consumers. It's bad for U.S. auto workers and it's bad for the environment. The U.S. government has set out a goal which we support to achieve 50% of electrified sales by 2030. But this bill effectively eliminates over half the vehicles that are built in the United States. And we, we believe that this is an unfair policy. Why should a auto worker in Kentucky or Texas, Mississippi or Alabama be excluded from this Tax incentive while other auto workers in the northern states uh, receive it.
0: So the German car lobby has been uh, firing back at this, very upset at these new rules. Um, saying that it is unfair um, uh, to, to global trade. And, of course, I think they are right here. Um, it's it's unfair practices by the United States. And it's a different type of protectionism that the U.S. is now organizing, putting all international brands at a disadvantage. Ultimately, what is good for consumers is more choices in electric vehicles, having more diversity, Um Also, direct-to-consumer sales are uh, an issue. I know that my colleague David Clement, North American Affairs Manager at the Consumer Choice Center, has been talking about this, actually in a recent testimony at uh, the New York State uh, Assembly. So let me just play a short part of his testimony.
3: Several months ago, my colleague Elizabeth Hicks and I published a research report titled the U.S. uh, Electric Vehicle Accessibility Index. It's a national ranking evaluating each state on how accessible the EV market is for consumers. The index evaluates each state's regulations for licensing fees and direct-to-consumer prohibitions. While not the worst state in the country, New York did not fare particularly well, with a score of 5 out of 15, which puts it in the category of barely accessible. And so specifically in regards to this law, which the chairman has specified, Um, Several times, which I think is very important to specifically address just the specifics of this law. I'll give you four reasons why I think direct to consumer sales should be permitted for emissionless vehicles. So, the first is that the existing market for EVs is not accessible, nor is it consumer friendly. As it stands, there's only five direct sale locations in the entire state, which underserves the residents of upstate New York. But beyond underserving those consumers and raising equitable access red flags, the direct sales limitation and current cap limits, uh, and current cap limits consumer access to just one brand of electric vehicle. Consumers should have all EV options available to them, be able to purchase those vehicles from the manufacturer of their choice in a way in which they see fit, whether that be from exist a a manufacturer's model from an existing dealer at a dealership owned by a manufacturer or directly from the manufacturer online.
0: The uh, German car lobby representative also uh, says in his statements, the regulations currently being debated would impair the quick global ramp up of e-mobility. And he also says, we mustn't let that happen. Climate protection requires global cooperation and collaboration and that's exactly right for those consumers that do want to switch to electric cars again there's still a lot to do we've talked about this many times on the podcast there's still a lot to do in terms of infrastructure but those who want to purchase it should purchase it at an equitable uh, price at a market price that is available to all consumers no matter where they uh, purchase them from and no matter which brand they prefer but now let's move to my uh, short interview with my colleague Anna Arunashvili. We talked briefly about the new fact sheet on fuel taxation in Europe. And uh, so uh, give it a listen. And also please do consult those documents under the publications page of consumerchoicecenter.org.
4: Uh, yes, so me and my colleagues recently published the paper uh, fact sheet on taxation of e motor vehicles. And we wanted to show uh, in which EU countries the drivers of internal combustion engine cars are Most tax and which ones they enjoy the most freedom. And in this paper, we're focusing on um, passenger cars, so personal motor vehicles. And basically, we're arguing that government share in the price of petrol and diesel is excessively high, um, and then we should, EU should embrace technology neutrality. So the reason we decided to do this paper is because we were already suspecting that government was taking too much for motor vehicle owners drivers and um, also it was uh, prompted by the recent uh, uh, recent decision by eu commission to um, ban the sales of new motor vehicles Um, and that's why we decided to see what kind of taxes the current drivers of motor vehicle are faced with and um, yeah basically that was the idea and for initially we wanted to do this as an index but it was a bit complicated because of how different um, um, taxation system in each and every EU country is so we couldn't really compare it that well so we just went with a fact sheet Uh, so basically some of our findings are that um, they face acquisition ownership and monitoring taxes and um, EU has set a minimum tax rate for energy products for every country is supposed to apply. That's to facilitate and foster uh, cross-border train, uh, trade and prevent significant competitive um, distortion. And uh, because um, uh, gas causes more CO2 emissions, it's um, is taxed higher than diesel. And um, then we take a look at registration fees and registration taxes that are intertwined with each other and. Actually, Sweden is the only country that doesn't charge any kind of registration tax. And um, most in a few countries, it's a a flat rate. But in most countries, it depends on, let's say, CO2 emissions, um, the car type, and uh, fuel efficiency. And so uh, whereas Sweden doesn't charge any registration tax, there's Denmark, which charges a lot, like really, really high tax and I was really surprised to do that. It goes as a, as high as um, let's say one hundred fifty percent of the car's taxable value. Uh, so if a car costs more, more than twenty seven thousand euros then you 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 pay one hundred fifty percent as a registration tax, which I think is a, a bit crazy. Um, and um, and and like it's not even a luxury car. like I don't think that's that expensive. so it doesn't make much sense to me. and. Uh, an interesting fact is that maybe that would explain why per capita number of vehicles that in Denmark is comparable to that of Eastern European countries, rather than Western European countries with similar GDP. And then um, at some point, we also wanted to compare um, compare the taxes that US citizens uh, pay on um, of, of, on like fuel, and um, um, on average, um, it's, it appears that Americans drive almost twice than average EU citizens do, uh, but the taxes are so much lower there, and California, which is the most heavily taxed um, state in this sense, um, its taxes even are even twice, two times less than that of um, an average excise tax that EU um, Ask that um ask its countries to apply. So you can imagine, like this is a bit crazy, and uh, it it, appa- it actually compares to the tax uh, taxing rates of India. They're also like um, consumers are taxed very highly, and um, we also touch upon on the upcoming sales ban on new motor vehicles in the paper. Uh, so basically the cars that produce carbon emissions will not uh, they will not be sold after uh, 2035 actually so it's it's in 13 years 14 years it's coming up to us and um, at the moment there are many incentives that european union countries offer to its citizens to switch to electric vehicles Let's say it's, it's mostly financial um, incentives. Basically, you don't have to pay registration tax or government, if it is sometimes subsidizing, so that like the purchase like covers a portion of the cost of the car. Um, because um, EVs at the moment are not as affordable as motor vehicles, even though the, the technology is developing and batteries are becoming more efficient, so the prices are going down. But there's also at the moment not a big secondhand uh, electric vehicle market, and a lot of so people in more less developed, let's say, EU countries, um, usually buy secondhand vehicles rather than the new ones. Um, and um, so basically one of the advantages of uh, electric vehicles would be that uh, you don't have to pay for fuel. So you would say it's a big relief that you don't have to pay for fuel, you don't have to therefore pay for fuel taxes. But uh, for example, in the US now government, some states are, um, are are experimented with new kind of taxation system would be road uh, usage usage charges. So basically you pay, um, you drive, depending on how much you drive. So far, you doesn't have any plan. I I don't think they have announced uh, anything similar, but um, because they receive a lot of money from this sector, um, they would have to somehow substitute the problem definitely they would have to substitute so they'll probably introduce a new tax system or hike taxes in different areas so we don't know that but that is expected to happen and um, then one more point we make in this paper is that taxes are too high and Um, consumers are already really, really burdened and we don't have to like force them uh, to go in the direction of buying one specific technology. So EU should practice technology neutrality and not prioritize one over the other. And uh, because EVs are becoming really popular nowadays, the companies are voluntarily shifting their process towards releasing more EU EV cars and, um, and basically, um, there was a poll recent poll that says that 40 percent uh, of EU citizens are willing to make are they say that it's highly likely that they're gonna uh, the next purchase of the car they make is going to be of electric vehicles. so we don't have to mandate the EU should not really mandate one technology because uh, we're already going to that direction so um, we, they should not like decree winners or losers, and let the consumers decide what they want for themselves.
0: Now let's talk about France. Um, France is in the news again. It's uh, getting some opposition from Germany and Spain in the European Council. Uh, Germany and Spain have actually urged the European Commission to conclude upcoming trade deals as swiftly as possible. France wants to hold those back, um, namely, of course, because it does fear political resistance um, in, uh, in, in, in lieu of its upcoming presidential election in two thousand and twenty. Two, I think that should be around May or June. It's usually when those uh, elections do take place. I know that in France, uh, trade deals are very contentious. There's roughly two elements to that. First of all, there's always a lot of disinformation regarding uh, trade agreements uh, in france um, which are then fueled by the second element which is often the farming lobbies the farming lobbies they do claim that they will be put at a, at a disadvantage by having more goods being able to to trade freely uh, the two treaties that's free trade agreements that are in conversation right now there's one with chile and one with new zealand um, the listeners will know that we've previously talked about the one for Mercosur, which would have been more largely for the, the, the South American uh, area. There again, uh, held back by France and Ireland over concerns when back when the Amazon rainforest uh, fires were our biggest concern. That was uh, briefly pre, pre-COVID times. And so this seems to be ongoing. Again, we've talked about this. Um, there's this. There's there's quite a few reasons why these free trade deals are important. First of all, it gives more choices to consumers. It brings more uh, uh, quantity, quality of products. And, and, and those consumers that do choose uh, not to get certain products because... Um, they just prefer to buy local, Well, they can still continue to do that, the, the products would still outline where they're produced and, uh, and of course, also how they're produced. That, that, that also um, is, is something that is available to consumers, that information. Um, and the other part is also that there is influence of, um, of other countries if we don't show presence as Europeans in those areas. So China is heavily invested in many South American countries already in order to match that investment match those partnerships, Europe should also be involved. That should just be a no-brainer. I noted under the Juncker Commission, there was a there, there was a lot of trade deals being concluded, a lot of trade negotiations being opened under von der Leyen. We currently do not see the same willpower to go through with it. Um, that also appears to be because Ursula von der Leyen politically was staking her. Um, position on the, the willingness of France to support her. So there seems to be a lot of ambiguity there to, towards exactly what is the position of this European Commission on, on free trade agreements. Um, so, so we'll see how that goes. It's definitely interesting that countries are actively pushing back um, because we've been celebrating many of these free trade agreements in the past. I do remember that when the the, 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 the one with Japan was signed, this was supposed to be um a a sign a political sign of of opposition towards the then trump administration showing that europe is open for business while the u.s is not and i think we should be continuing uh, in that line of thinking but now let's move to the interview of this week. My guest this week is Rainer Kluter. He's the chairman of the uh, pro-nuclear uh, organization Nuclearia based in Germany. And they campaign for nuclear energy in Germany, which, of course, is a very contentious issue. That is what we've talked about. Uh, also about electricity prices and uh, the, the the fight against climate change. So take it away. All right. So we are here with Rainer Kluter from Nuclearia in Germany. And uh, Nuclearia has um, a different view on the energy policy that Germany needs compared to what uh, governments, previous government and probably the, the the upcoming government has as well. So Rainer, first of all, thank you so much for coming on the program and also explain to us exactly what do you do?
1: I am chairman of Nuclearia uh, and Nuclearia is a registered association and uh, we sh- we are sharing information about uh, nuclear energy In Germany, or in the German-speaking countries, um, in Germany, um, education on nuclear is is very low. People think they know a lot about nuclear energy, but most of that is wrong. So uh, we try to share this uh, correct information, and I think we're doing uh, quite a good job. Um, the, The general attitude in the public has changed towards nuclear energy Um, according to our observation that started well by the end of 2018 uh, at that time or from that time on media started to uh, report more positively about nuclear in Germany and uh, today we have a lively debate uh, on the pros and cons of nuclear energy uh, regarding climate change and uh, regarding the energy crisis. And um, in fact, we have an ongoing um, online survey uh, commissioned at, at CVE and this uh, that means that we can um, watch how the German population's attitude to, to nuclear is changing over time. And we see that uh, starting with the energy crisis, starting by uh, the beginning of September, um, the share of uh, nuclear proponents increases somewhat slowly first and that accelerated uh, by the beginning of, of uh, October. And, and today we have about uh, 56% of the, of the German pop- population that says we agree uh, to continue um, using nuclear energy. Uh, in order to reach the eu's climate targets
0: now that that is interesting because i I remember following the German conversation on nuclear power and in two thousand eleven that took a big shift um with yeah. with fukushima um, I think as as in terms of backstory for our listeners, it would be interesting to also get your story because I read online, you also have an interesting story related to that. how exactly what 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 did two thousand and eleven exactly mean for you and your Activism.
1: Okay. Um, Before the Fukushima accident, I wasn't particularly interested in energy at all. I'm a computer scientist, and for me, it is important that power comes uh, from the from the wall plug, and and that's it. Yeah. Um, The the I have a I have an education in physics. I studied physics as a minor subject, so I have I have some background in atomic physics and nuclear physics, which is not the same, by the way. Uh, and um, so I have I have had uh, even then a general understanding of the subject, and I had the opportunity one week before the Fukushima accident happened to visit a nuclear power plant, including the control area. Uh, that means. Uh, We were with our group in the reactor room and um, in the intermediate storage where the waste, uh, the nuclear waste is uh, uh, deposited for the time being. So that was very interesting and uh, I learned a lot um, about the, the functioning of a nuclear power plant, about the safety mechanisms and all that. Um, I knew already before the, the physical uh, foundations, uh, fission and all that, but how this is um, implemented in practice in a power plant, I didn't know, and that was uh, very interesting. And that helped me understand what happened in Fukushima. And uh, I was uh, in so far personally involved as my son spent a year um, in Japan. He, he was at, the, at Sendai, uh, at uh, Tohoku University in Sendai, about 100 kilometers away from Fukushima Daiichi. And so that was an interesting uh, question what, what does that mean for him, this, this accident? And uh, should he come back to Germany or stay in Japan and all that? And so I dived deeply uh, into the subject. Uh, of, of nuclear power, of radiation, and, uh, and soon I began to understand that the, the media reports in Germany were wrong, were exaggerating the dangers, and uh, so that, that make, made me um, angry. And I wanted to to set correct information against that. And uh, sooner or later, that led to the foundation of uh, Nuclearia. It was first uh, a working group in the Pirate Party in 2011. And in 2013, we founded uh, an independent association because we wanted to to attract uh, people from all political backgrounds, Uh, and so we are today politically independent, independent from industry and only dependent on the annual fees of our members.
0: Now, that is very interesting. You also, you've been talking about a shift in the views of of Germans when it comes to nuclear power. Um, Now, one part of this can be indeed the education factor, but can it also maybe be pragmatic germany now has the highest electricity prices in all of europe is it just that people look at their expenses and go like i think 2011 the energy shift might have been a bit of a mistake and we should have stayed with nuclear power what's your assessment there
1: yeah yeah yes i think so uh and my my observation is um when we are doing demonstrations for nuclear We we demonstrated uh, in 2020 and 2021 uh, at the nuclear power plants and in um, in cities near those plants, and uh, the well we don't we we reach some people, but not much, not many, not many people. The general interest is there, but it is somewhat reluctant. And I think this is due to the fact that um, the energy vendor, the energy transition and the phasing out of nuclear power uh, didn't hurt people so far. And now with the energy crisis. Uh, Some people begin to understand that uh, phasing out of nuclear is not a clever idea. Um, High energy prices, high electricity prices mean that uh, um, demand and supply are not in a good balance. And if we take away even more nuclear power plants, three by the end of the year and uh, three by the end of next year, uh, that if you, if you reduce supply and, uh, and keep the, the demand at level or even increase the demand, the prices will not go down. No way. And uh, um, besides, besides power prices, uh, if, you, if you shut down CO2-free electricity generators, uh, the emissions won't go down either. So emissions will rise, prices will rise, and um, now people are beginning to to feel that in their uh, in their pockets, um, in their wallets. Mm, I think I think this will this this anger about um, rising electricity prices will um, only um, will only rise with with the time in future because many people. Haven't got their electricity bills by now, they, and they will, they will have uh, an awful surprise when their bills come in, and uh, and they know about the, the fees they w- will have to pay for electricity uh, in in the, in the coming year. So so my my uh, expectation is that um, the support for nuclear power in Germany will rise over time. Yeah, and uh, especially after after shutting down uh, the the three plants that will go down by by end of this year.
0: It is also very interesting when comparing the the, the CO two emissions levels of Germany with the ones of France. And now France. If you look at the news now, France is now announcing, the president now announcing more construction, new nuclear energy uh, plants, newer technology also, more investments into new technology, into nuclear power. That will really paint a very stark difference between Germany and France. Do you think those decisions, and right now the conversation we're having in the European Union over, is nuclear energy actually green technology? Should it be considered green technology? Will that have any influence on the upcoming government in, in Germany or would you think the politicians will kind of steer on the, the, the path they were currently going?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm not very hopeful regarding um, the, the coalition negotiation and, uh, and the stance of the upcoming government because the Greens will be in it. Um, but I, I would uh, go one step back and um, you mentioned the emissions uh, in France and in Germany And i would encourage everyone to have a a look at the website electricitymap.org and on this website you can see the the emissions of the various countries in in a more or less live fashion i think they they update uh, the status every two hours so you can see what are what are the emissions in my country right now and uh, yesterday evening i compared Germany to France, and Germany uh, of France had a had a, a CO two intensity of ninety nine grams CO two equivalent per kilowatt hour at that time when when I had a look not ninety nine, and at the same time Germany had uh, um, an int- CO two intensity of one uh, of uh, five hundred twenty one. 521, more than five times more than France. And that's no surprise because when it's dark uh, the solar panels don't deliver electricity. Yesterday evening we had almost no wind in Germany so wind power was also not there and all the electricity came uh, mainly from coal, from gas and from the remaining uh, nuclear power plants so there was some uh, some low carbon uh, share in the electricity mix, but that will go away, except we can't inhibit that.
0: Right, I, I we're coming to the end of the of the 15 minutes that we have scheduled, I have one more thing on my mind, and there's like a million things I think that we could talk about. One more thing that I was curious about, I saw this video a couple of weeks ago, at a Fighters for Future demonstration, there was somebody uh, in Berlin who was holding a, a pro nuclear uh, uh, sign. And that person was actually attacked and booed at that demonstration. Um, there is an, there's a question to you that I have about: um, to, to what extent you explain that there is that, that, that some in the environmentalist movement don't see a synergy between nuclear energy and, um, and, 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 and climate change action? The IPCC report is clear about the, the necessity for nuclear energy in the power mix in order to tackle climate change. Why is it so hard for people like you? to convince the people that like Greta Thunberg that actually there is need to work together because nuclear energy ought to be part of the uh, new, uh, of the energy mix of the future how how do you explain that
1: well frankly i can't i can't explain it because if you if you take a um, fact based stance uh, on the whole uh, question and and issues you can only come to the conclusion that that nuclear, as well as renewables, have to be part of the mix. And and many countries are coming to that conclusion. Uh, We talked about France. Great Britain is another example, or the the United States. Uh, Germany is an exception, as well as uh, Belgium. Um, And I can, well, is it an explanation? I can only say, Germ- the Germans have been misinformed by the greens and the green pieces of the world uh, for decades. And this, these, these nuclear myths are part of, of, the, of the overall thinking, and uh, they, are, they are so deeply buried into, into our personalities, so to speak, or the personality of the society. Uh, that it is very hard to think otherwise to to open oneself uh, in order to to allow different views and and uh, ways of thinking you haven 't had before and there 's a barrier this is not i can 't explain that with reasonable arguments. it is uh, really very deep in in the personality and uh and can't be overcome easily yeah you can with with rational arguments you can only do so much but uh against emotions it's it's very difficult to argue
0: and that concludes this week's episode of consumer thank you so much for listening you can follow reiner klute on twitter at reiner underscore Kluter and also, do check out Nuclearia under nuclearia.de. And also follow the Consumer Choice Center on Twitter at ConsumerChoiceC. As always, I'm your host, Bill Words. See you Thursday.
3: You have to learn.